0: Welcome. It is so good to be with you this morning. Um, I will say right off the bat, Natasha did not incorrectly read. I did not add the right slides. That was on me. So thank you, Natasha, for the extra reading. Um, that is actually not extra reading, but we were, we were supposed to read. And also, as I was in the lobby today, Rob, who is waving at me for grades four to sixes, you can head out. Rob came up and he said, Phil, it's only been two weeks, and um, And you gave an announcement two weeks ago, kindly requesting people to show up on time. And he's like, people did a really good job. Like, five minutes, good job. That's like, pat yourselves on the back. You showed up on time. Really proud of you. Thank you. Um, Well, it was so good. It is so good to be with you this morning. As you know, we are traveling, continuing our journey through the gospel of Luke. And we arrive at Luke chapter 17 um, for a teaching on forgiveness. And all this kind of journey that we've been going through, Luke, has been focusing on this question. What does it mean to be a disciple? And then it comes to a teaching on forgiveness. And, and one of the beautiful things about forgiveness in the Gospel of Luke is it, it, it is central. Forgiveness starts off the Gospel of Luke. In chapter 1, Jesus reads the scroll of Isaiah, and he announces that salvation is coming through the forgiveness of sins. And the Gospel of Luke ends with Jesus sending out his disciples to announce salvation through the forgiveness of sins, and Luke records um, Jesus' teachings on forgiveness six more times than any other gospel writer. The next only writes about it 12 times, but Luke records 18 different teachings on Jesus about forgiveness, and so we should lean in and listen on what's going on, but I will say that talking about forgiveness is challenging um, because we are harbingers of guilt and frustration and anger and frustration towards other people. And talking about forgiveness is hard because it is a deeply nuanced topic. There is hurt and baggage that come as we talk about forgiveness, and so I'll be honest that I'm only going to scratch the surface when it comes to talking about forgiveness. My goal today is to give us an image, a picture in our mind that we can think of as we process what it means to forgive people and what it means for us as a church to be a Uh, A movement of forgiveness, you could say, but I won't hit all of it. And I think in our community groups, hopefully we have continued discussion around how can we learn to forgive, what are the parameters around forgiveness. But it is an ongoing discussion that I hope we have. How does that sound? Good? Amazing. Well, in the passage that we're in today, Luke 10, um, first we see the need for forgiveness. Then we see a formula for forgiveness. We are then told about our duty of forgiveness, but then behind that, we're we're shown the power to forgive. So those are the four things I want to talk about today, the need, the formula, the duty, and the power. But of course, before we get to forgiveness, we need to talk about sin, so we're going to have a very exciting discussion today. But I will um, read our passage one more time, and I'm only going to read verse 1 to 10, but I'm going to talk about the, the second part about the lepers later on, so let me... Journey into Luke. And I did not mark it. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Here we go. Great. Wonderful. Let me pray first. Father God, we give thanks um, to be here as a church, to worship you and uh, to celebrate the ways that you forgive us and invite us into your goodness. And I pray that we as a church are a, a movement of forgiveness in our city, that shine your light and your goodness through this. Um, In this sermon, what is of you, let it rise up, and what is not, let it fall away. Amen. Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And he replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will they say to the servant when they come in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me, and while I eat and drink, and then you may eat and drink? Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. This is the word of the Lord. So this passage starts off. In an odd and interesting way, Jesus begins by saying, things will happen in life that will cause you to stumble. Whereas the ESV kind of translates a little better, things will happen that will cause you to be tempted towards sin, that will pull you into their, um, their energy and cause you to be tempted along the way. And it's odd because it's actually a little bit encouraging. Jesus is just saying, life is hard and challenges will come, and being tempted is natural. Someone may swerve in front of you in traffic and cause you to shout some rather obscene expletives as you like to rear out of the way. Children will cry all through the night and exhaust you and tire you out so that you're just grumpy and frustrated at anyone and everything around you. Your spouse may leave a pile of socks in the living room that grows over the course of the week, and for some reason is always an odd number. I'm sorry. Um, and you never know why, and they will cause you just frustration. Things will happen in life that will cause you to be tempted towards sinning and anger. They're common. And so it's kind of a nice encouragement. Things will happen. But then Jesus, of course, follows it up. But woe to those who cause others to stumble. And even he, he really amps it up by saying it would be better for them to be drowned in the sea than to cause others to be pulled into temptation. Woe essentially means grief will come. Grief will come to those who cause others to stumble. Grief will come to those who cause others to sin. Grief will cause others to sin. That's a heavy word to come in from Jesus. So what do we do with this kind of picture? In order to think about this, I want us to to have an image of sin as lightning and energy, you could say pastor friend of mine back home introduced this to me, sin as electricity, sin as energy. Because like electricity, we can sin because energy is moving through us from someone else to someone else. Years ago, my wife and I moved into our apartment, and I learned the power of electricity as I was changing our light fixture. I was standing on a rotating chair and unscrewing the light fixture, and I thought I had... Undone the power, and I did not, and I became the victim of the electricity surging through my house into my own body. And if I was holding on to someone else's hand, that electricity would pass through me into them. And sin is this energy that is moving from one person that we can hold on to to become a conduit as it cha- channels through us to someone else. When you were ever a kid, did you ever do like static electricity circles? In gymnastics, we would always do this. You would stand in a big circle with your arms like an inch away from each other, and then one person would go, and they would start getting the electricity moving and going, and then finally it would and it would start to move around the circle. And sin in our world is the water we live in, it can quickly jump from one person to the next to the next. My actions cause the other person cause the next and the reason this is is important is static electricity is cute and getting shocked from a socket though hurts typically isn't deadly but if you dial electricity up the voltage up more and more then it becomes more dangerous and you could think of it in its most beautiful spectacular way a lightning strike we don't get enough of those here in Vancouver but back home there would be beautiful thunder and lightning storms And according to the government of Canada, 50% of wildfires that occur in Canada are caused by lightning strikes in a dry, debris-filled forest. In fact, 80% of the forest forest acreage that burns started with lightning strikes. And sin can much be like that. It can come into a community, a debris-filled, dry space waiting to burn and then comes in and explodes into a wildfire. And I think this is the kind of picture that Jesus is talking about when he says, woe to the person who will cause others to stumble. Woe to the person who acts like a lightning strike in a dry, debris-filled forest. you will cause a lightning strike. He'll cause a wildfire to burn all the way through a community. And so Jesus is is saying, it's not just about forgiveness, it's about putting an end to the movement, the energy of sin that can come into a community. And so that's that's the need. Sin exists, and if left unchecked, it'll pass from one person to the next, and if the situation is right, it will cause devastating effects. Grief will come to a person that brings that into a community. So what do we do if, if there's this need Uh, If there's something going on, this power of sin, well, we need something to stop it. And so Jesus says, watch yourselves. And it's a curious thing, right? He says, woe to the person who brings sin in. But he doesn't say, so be on guard and look outside for those people that can bring sin in. He says, watch yourselves because you might be the source of the lightning strike. Watch yourselves, because you could be the one bringing sin into a community. And then he follows it with, if your brother or sister sins against you. Watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, that is where the lightning can begin to come in. Are you with me? Okay. So this, this brings up the need for forgiveness. We can unintentionally become conduits of this sinful energy into our community, and so we need a way to stop it. And this is what brings forgiveness. So he says, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. This is Jesus' kind of formula of forgiveness. So let's, let's look into what's going on. Because I think it's a little surprising that he starts here. He starts off, if your brother sins against you, rebuke them. Now I think some of us hear this as permission. Say, if my brother or sister sins against me, I'm going to call them out and I'm going to go at them. I'm going to tell you how you were wrong, and how you hurt me, and how it's awful. But re- rebuke isn't an attack. Rebuke means to warn in order to prevent something from going wrong. To warn to prevent something from going wrong. It's not you messed up, and I'm mad at you. It's you messed up, and I don't want you to hurt others like you hurt me. I. I used to and still do have a little bit of a bad habit. Um, If I'm in like a team environment and people are being creative, or if I'm just talking with another person and they bring up an idea that I like slightly disagree with, I'll go, no, 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 no. Here's what I think we should do instead. Someone's like, I have this wonderful idea of a charity we could run in in our church, and I just say, no, we should do this instead. And my wife became the victim of this for many years because she would say, I think we should do this. And I would say, no, let's do this instead. And what I learned through conversation with her was I come from a very argumentative family. Um, and no was never the end of an argument. No was the invitation to like double down in your opinion and fight back and prove the other person wrong. And so I would say no to people thinking they would argue with me. But the conversation would just die. And I would say no to Dee, and she would not continue the argument and I was like what are you doing this is the time to push back and she's like you're just ending a conversation you're being like rude and disrespectful to everyone around you and you somehow people have let you get away with it for like 25 years this has to stop and so Dee did the loving thing she rebuked me she called me out she said you can't just keep saying no to people and I said no this is why I'm doing it (laughs) and then she called me out again and I said okay I understand but rebuke it's calling out to stop an action from not affecting other people around them. So Jesus says, if someone sins against you, rebuke them. Call it out. Don't let it continue. Put an end to the energy moving. And then, once sin is called out, it gives the opportunity for repentance. The goal, the outcome desired from rebuking is repentance. You're hurting people around you. Don't you see? And maybe the person doesn't, and then they can turn around and live a different way and choose a different response. And if we rebuke well, it may lead to repentance, which then, according to Jesus, gives us the opportunity to externally forgive a person. And here's the thing. I think we need to kind of wrestle with what does it mean to forgive for a moment because my assumption is we all learned forgiveness in kindergarten and in the playground and things like that. And typically what would happen is someone does, like one kid does something bad and then the other kid either goes and tells on them or an adult sees them and then the adult comes and says, you did this bad, don't do that. Do you say sorry? And the person's like, sorry. And then the other person's like, okay, now you forgive them. And then they forgive them. And maybe if they're siblings, it's like, OK, now hug. And it's just like awkward lean. And we say, OK, that was forgiveness. The one person said, sorry. The other person said, I forgive you. End of the conversation. But what we realized, what we probably did, is we just were filled with energy and resentment. And we just pushed it down and waited for years and years. And then a therapy happened. And we began to unpack the storehouses of energy and resentment that were in us, right? wasn't really forgiveness. It was instead just absorbing the energy and let it destroy us from the inside or letting it come out as we curse the other person in different ways. We probably need all of us to learn how to forgive a little better. So in order to do that, let's spend a little more time thinking about the opposite of forgiveness. What are the opposites of forgiveness? To me, kind of two major ones come to mind. Resentment and revenge. First, resentment. Resentment is becoming bitter and indignant at the actions of another person. It is burying the negative energy and emotions, but letting them consume us. And then when it leaks out, it comes out as us comments under our breath, avoiding them as best as we can, talking negatively behind their back, the small and subtle jabs that we can work in, a sarcastic comment here and there. It can fill us and live in us for some time. If someone has sinned against you or wronged you, you've said you forgive. And, and here's the test if you're living in resentment. If, if someone sinned against you, did something wrong, and you said you forgive them, but then something bad happens to them and you smile a little bit, you're probably living with a little bit of resentment. For, um, I've said before, I used to be a campus pastor in my early 20s, and I was replaced in a really hard way, and my boss had thought that I was going to take this campus church and run away with it, which I was not going to do. So they hired someone to replace me, and I worked really hard to like go through the process of forgiveness and reconciliation with them. But then two years later, the person who replaced me to be the lead pastor of this campus church ran away with it. They said, we're cutting ties with this church. And when I was told this, I noticed this green, ugly-headed monster of resentment smirk and smile, and be happy at the pain that it caused. And I realized, oh, I haven't forgiven this other person yet. Resentment lives under the surface, trying to not be seen, but waits for small things to come out. And the other opposite of forgiveness is revenge. And revenge is just Seeking to harm the other person that hurt you. And revenge might be instantaneous. Someone hurt you and you just immediately lash out. Just their energy comes to you and you just lash it right back at them. Or it could be more subtle, going to tear them down, finding ways to undermine them, finding ways to cut out their character and attack them. You can go to revenge.com, find a lovely list of recommendations. One was finding spiders to put in another person's bed, and I was like, okay, this is getting a little too far. But revengement is seeking to return the negative energy back at someone. And here's the thing. Revenge and resentment, they're always seeking payment. Because when someone hurts us, when someone wrongs us, We suffer, we feel a pain, and we feel like we'll only be able to forgive them once they've paid for what they've done. But it's not forgiveness then. Instead, it's just turning and counting energies back and forth. And you can tell, uh, or you can think of the German term schadenfreude, right? With the joy you feel at someone else's suffering. If you feel that, it's, it's probably because you haven't gone through the work Of forgiving a person, and you might be living in resentment or revenge. So if we understand forgiveness as this kind of opposite of resentment and revenge, we need to have an understanding of what it is. If it's not returning the energy or keeping the energy in our bodies and letting it destroy us, then what is it? Well, the Greek word ephemi, uh, which is usually translated as forgive, is sometimes translated as to suffer. To forgive someone means to suffer on their behalf. It is to absorb the debt into yourself. And it's not sweeping it under the rug. It's feeling the pain of it and paying the cost on their behalf. And so forgiveness is a commitment to not seek resentment or, and revenge. You could say that forgiveness is to become a grave for the other person's sin. And so to Jesus, it's this multi-step approach to get to the place of forgiveness. First rebuke, call out the sin, name that it happened. And if there's repentance, then you can give forgiveness. Put an end to the energy with the goal of reconciliation. But here's the thing. That is probably a little different of a formula than we learned about forgiveness. I think we've probably more heard Jesus' teaching from Mark where he says, And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you. So the big question is, is Mark's teaching about forgiveness different than Luke's teaching about forgiveness? Jesus is saying it both times, but one says you don't forgive until after rebuke and repentance do you give forgiveness. But the other says, if you just on your own are praying and realize you hold something against someone, you forgive them. So which one is it? I would, of course, advocate that it is both. But Mark is talking about an internal forgiveness. A person is praying and realizing I have a grudge against someone else. They hurt me. They wronged me. I've been living in resentment. Revenge is still in me. So I'm going to choose to forgive them right here now. It's an internal work. And when the internal work is done you can actually go in good faith and spirit to the other person and rebuke them in love. Because most likely, you'll otherwise go to rebuke them as an act of revenge. Only if you've forgiven in your heart and rebuke them with love can they actually turn away and receive the external act of forgiveness. And I want to pause for a moment and highlight that not once have I said forgiveness is a feeling. And I think a lot of the time we try to say, well, I haven't really forgiven the person yet. I don't feel like I've forgiven them. But forgiveness, like love, is a choice and an action. It is a commitment to not seek resentment and revenge and to quash it where it is in you instead of just feeling like you haven't forgiven them. And as I worked through this sermon and and processed my own, I began to realize there are people that I don't feel like I have forgiven, And then I actually need to do that work of a little bit more inside myself and maybe go and call them out if I can do that in good faith. And the goal of Jesus' formula of forgiveness is actually reconciliation. Because he begins by saying, if your brother sins against you, if your brother or sister sins against you, the goal is to keep brother and sister relationship if it is safe. And then Jesus follows this up, this formula by talking about duty and, for, and power, and before I get to power, I want to talk about the duty of forgiveness. Jesus tells this brief parable of a servant being in the field or, or tending the sheep and then coming home and the master not thanking them. And at first, it just sounds like Jesus is not a good manager that just doesn't thank people. I remember when I worked at McDonald's and somebody said, you never say please or thank you. And I said, well, it's your job. Why would I say Please. And then I just realized how awful of a person I was and had to repent and learn to say my pleases and thank yous. But Jesus brings this up to say, a master doesn't need to say thank you for something that is the duty of the person's job. And he brings this up because his essential statement is this, forgiveness is not optional to those who follow Jesus. And that's hard, right? Because we come to faith, we come to celebration and in our own salvation, but then Jesus says, forgiveness is a non-negotiable. Forgiveness and repentance are the hallmarks of Christian life. It is the job of Christians around the world to absorb the hate, the violence, and pain done on them. End of discussion. And that's not easy for us. Because we want our pound of flesh. We want revenge. We want resentment. It's what feels natural when we feel this pain, this hurt. We want it back. But Jesus is telling these disciples and through them us, forgiveness is not a choice, or is not, it is a choice, but forgiveness is not an option when it comes to following him. We have to move to it. And so I love the, the response of the disciples, and I assume it's, it's the response we're thinking It's not possible, God. Like, the disciples, they respond, increase our faith, and it's because I can't do that. Like, you don't understand how these people have wronged me. And I realize, like, I'm a hypocrite saying forgiveness is not optional because I don't always forgive well. But Jesus says it to us to invite us to a very different way to live. And so Jesus then, he highlights the duty It's our our job to forgive, but he gives a source behind it. The the disciples say, Lord, increase our faith. And he responds, "Um, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can tell this mulberry tree to be thrown in the ocean. It seems like a very odd response, right? But if you were here in the summer, as Ross Lockhart preached, uh, a mustard seed is the smallest of all the seeds for trees. But it can grow to this beautiful, massive, huge tree. And the question is, what makes a mustard seed be able to grow all on its own into this massive, incredible tree? Well, truly, it's the DNA of the mustard seed. The source of the mustard seed, a previous tree, is the thing that gives it the power to live out its existence. The seed is only the conduit of that power. And so it is with forgiveness. The Christian faith understands that on our own, we actually cannot forgive other people well. On our own, we can't keep absorbing the pain into ourselves, it will cost us too much. And so Jesus says if you have faith in me, as small as a mustard seed, you can do this impossible task. And this is why Luke puts the story of the ten lepers right after this this teaching about faith and forgiveness. Because chronologically, the story of the 10 lepers should not happen here. And he even writes, on the way to Jerusalem as they were coming to Samaria. But if you track Jesus's map, he's nowhere near Samaria by the time this teaching is told. So Luke does a little flashback. They say, Lord, increase our faith. We don't have enough. Jesus says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed. But then he goes, let me tell you about an incredible story about faith as small as a mustard seed. 10 lepers, 10 people afflicted with this horrible disease come to Jesus and they say, heal us. And he says, go present yourselves to the priests. And as they're going, they're healed. And then one of them turns around and comes to Jesus and praises Jesus and gives thanks. And of course, there's a teaching here about, about thanksgiving. But Jesus says, weren't there 10 I sent? But he sends this final one back by saying, your faith has made you well. Your faith. And and what is faith? It is trust. It is allegiance in another person. So this Samaritan, he comes to Jesus, and as he comes to give thanks, he's praising him as the true high priest, the true temple, the source of his faith. And it is through that small amount of faith that this man is healed. And so Luke says, if you think forgiveness is possible, what about 10 people being healed of an almost incurable disease? It's the same faith for both. And so Jesus highlights this power beyond that gives us the ability to actually forgive. And as I think about it as, as electricity and energy moving, it actually really helps us understand what we do as Christians when we forgive. I would say this, we become lightning rods. Now, I, I don't know what the really tall tower in Vancouver is, so I'll go back to Ontario terms of the CN Tower. The CN Tower, this... Concrete thing that is just an eyesore in the middle of the city, but the, the CN Tower is struck by lightning 75 times a year, on average. I wish it was 77 according to the statistic, but it's 75 times a year that it's it's struck by lightning. But it's not destroyed. It doesn't light other buildings on fire. It doesn't blow all their circuitry. What happens? Lightning strikes to their lightning rod, and then it moves through a 1.5-centimeter radius copper wire that is spread out in a wiring network all around and then ultimately drives all the way down into the ground where the lightning is safely dispersed. No destruction, but all the same voltage channeling through and moving out. And to me, this is what the image of forgiveness in the Christian life is. It is to be struck by lightning but to move the energy that comes into us, the sin, the hate, the devastation, the loss, to move it through us into God. What we see on the cross as Christ dies for all of our sins, it is all of our sins. And as people sin against us, we anchor our copper wires in his death and resurrection. We become graves for hate, but not in our own bodies, in Christ's. We anchor ourselves into him, and only then can we actually truly do the work of forgiveness. On our own, we can't do it. On our own, it would destroy us. On our own, it would start a wildfire. But if we become anchored lightning rods in Jesus, we can go through the work of forgiveness. That is the mustard seed that Jesus speaks about. And to me, that gives me a lot of hope because I want to forgive as Jesus talks about, but I don't often feel like I can. But he says, it's okay. I've already done it on your behalf. Abide in me, and that's enough. My hope and prayer for for our church and for churches around the world is that we become lightning rods of hate and sin. We become a shining example of what it means to love and forgive others, but we do it connected to God. So, in a few moments, the band will come and play. And during this time, I invite you to reflect and to ask God, are there people who have sinned against me? People that I hold a grudge against, people that resentment has been living in me towards. And as they come to mind, I invite you right here and now, forgive them. Do the work inside. Ask Jesus to help you forgive them, to ground yourself in his love and presence and to dissipate the anger you may hold. And if that sin is grievous enough and you feel like you can forgive them, you can go and rebuke them in love, to call them to repentance, to reconcile in the relationship. But some sins are just enough that we can forgive them on our own. But remember, you can only do this grounded in Christ. You can only do this if we are in him. And if you're not, I invite you to come talk with myself or pray with someone on the side um, to to wrestle with what does it mean to experience this forgiveness that's already been given on our behalf. How does that sound? Let me pray. Father God, I, I think in this moment of the response of the disciples, Lord, increase our faith. I don't feel strong enough to do this, and I'm not. We as a church are not strong enough to forgive all the different ways people have wronged us, but you are. And I pray that as a church we become anchored in you, we draw close to you, we let sin and hate dissipate in you, so that we can go and in love forgive those around us. Be with us today as As we draw near to you, show your goodness to us again and again so that we may do this impossible task. Let us see our faith as small as a mustard seed connected to your infinite love. In your name, amen. Amen.